in a change from the advertised program, um, rather than continuing with the Book of Acts, which we will do, but I thought having just got back from this conference in Turkey, I'd share some thoughts from that, um, and in particular about Pergamum, but we'll, we'll come on to that um, in a minute. So um, that's the amphitheater, and sorry, you're going to have to do a bit of sort of neck turning here if you're over here to this side. Um, that's the, the amphitheater in Ephesus, where uh, the, the riot happened in Acts, thank you very much, in Acts chapter 19, there was the, the riot, or the near riot there, and uh, that's the amphitheater where that took place, over 20,000 people baying for hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians and all that. Um, but that's not the focus of what I want to talk about today, just to tell you that the, this was the Eurasmi Leadership Conference. Um, what a catchy title. Um, it stands for the European, Eurasian, and Middle East Leadership Conference. So it's Western Europe, Scandinavia, the Nordics, Eastern Europe, Russia, Ukraine, and that part of the world, and the Middle East, um, Lebanon, um, and Jordan, and those kinds of places. So a really interesting mixture of cultures and leadership. And another time I'll share a bit about what I heard from the Middle East uh, uh, leadership that was there, which was particularly inspiring, hearing about their lives in Muslim lands and, uh, and some who had converted from Islam and some of the costs that they, uh, that they had to endure. Um, but that's for another time, not, not for today. Um, where were we and why were we there? Well, partly the, the location is there because that's the one place that everybody can get to in terms of visas. Basically, it's very difficult for some of the countries to get to each other to get visas. So Turkey is one of the places where everybody can get to, which is one of the reasons it's there. But the other reason was that we could then um, visit the seven churches uh, of Revelation. We were in Izmir, which is here, which is biblically is Smyrna. So when you read Smyrna in the Bible, think Izmir in modern-day Turkey. So we were staying in Izmir by the coast. And we visited uh, the church, well, uh, some remains uh, in Smyrna and in Ephesus and in Laodicea. We didn't get to Colossae. We got to Hierapolis, Philadelphia, where there's very little left, but some things there. Sardis. We didn't go to Thyatira because there's literally nothing there. They haven't found anything, but they know that that's where it was, but there's nothing to see. And then Pergamum, which we'll talk about uh, a bit today. So... This is where the Apostle Paul was, and Timothy, and, and, and many people, characters in the New Testament. The, these are the lands in which they lived and worked and shared their faith and died for the faith, many of them. So it's an inspiring part of the world to be. I have been to Turkey before, but only to Ephesus. So this time, the chance to go to some of the other biblical sites was uh, a real privilege um, and an amazing, amazing thing. Um, not a great picture in this light, but uh, there were something like 300 people there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, and that, that doesn't give you everybody that picture, but, um, but anyway, so we've got uh, Jack Legon, he's over there swigging from a water bottle. Andy Fleming is here with his head bowed down, looking at his computer or something, I don't know. Um, and it was um, a mixture of older and younger, having been to many of these conferences over the years. It was nice to see a few more people without grey or bald hair or bald heads. Um, the average age is slowly coming down. 
Um, great to see a lot of younger people there in their 20s as well as their 30s. Uh, people working with teens and campus, but you know, younger people. There were elders and teachers and evangelists and uh, shepherd-type people, all, all kinds of, of people there, and a good balance of men and women. Um, it was great to catch up with old friends um, and to hear some good lessons and then to visit. For me, probably the highlight was a couple of deep conversations and uh, visiting these sites, which we'll talk more about. Um, so I wanted to talk about, in particular, Pergamon, because being in Pergamon had a, had a profound impact on me, and I'll share why in a minute. Um, but that's what I want to focus on today. And by the way, I've got a very bad throat. I don't know what I've done, so I'm going to ask some of us to read Scripture, if that's all right. Uh, when we get to Revelation 2, if someone could read the letter to the church in Pergamon, I'd be grateful. Um, but I want to set this in the context of the challenges that we face in life. It's one thing to visit biblical lands and all that, but we need to think about what were those Christians going through and how does that apply to our situation today? And Jesus knew that Christians of his time and coming immediately after at our time were going to face a lot of challenges and that we would uh, need support. So uh, just to say in John 16, um, in these verses, Jesus knew he had to leave and physically not be with them. He said, in a little while, in John 16, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And we can all say amen to that. But take heart. Take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. Now, this is really significant. That last phrase, that's where our hope rests. I have overcome the world. Now, the Apostle John, who wrote these words, lived in the area we're talking about, in Ephesus and around that area. He lived there. And it's believed he was buried. Uh, He's buried in that area. There's a church dedicated to his name that I visited last time I was in Turkey. And he wrote his gospel to help those who would would not only be alive at his time, but but would believe after he had died. Jesus has long uh, ascended to heaven. But John's thinking about the next generation, about the people like us who would need this assurance that while we live in a world of trouble, Jesus has overcome the world, and therefore we live in hope. John knew what it was like to lose Jesus, in a sense, twice. Once on the cross, to see his Messiah crucified, but then again to see him ascend. And although that was glorious, he still had to say goodbye for a while. And the Apostle John lived, as far as we can tell, to something around the age of 90 years old which is a good old age at any generation, any time, let alone in, that, in those days. And he wrote his gospel when he was probably very close to the end of his life. And he's thinking about that. He's lived a long time with the spirit of Jesus, but without the physical presence. He had three and a half, three, three and a half years of the physical presence of Jesus. And then he's had, well, we would probably think maybe 60, 70 years of life without Jesus physically. So he knows what it's like to live through times of persecution and trial. All of his fellow apostles are dead by now. James was beheaded, the apostle, 
Others have been, like Paul, have been uh, uh, beheaded. Uh, Peter's been crucified upside down from what we know. All the others, most of them martyred. He's the last one left. He knows what it's like to live through a time of turmoil. He's seen Jerusalem um, burned to the ground. He's seen the temple destroyed. He's seen Judaism separate, separated from Christianity. and He's seen so much. And one of the things I like about John's gospel is it provides us with, with great confidence. It, it's John trying to help us to, to really trust that it's going to be okay in the end. It may not be okay now, and it may not be comfortable now, but it'd be worth it in the end because Jesus has overcome the world. So we need preparing for our trouble that we're in and our trouble that's ahead. And at the end of this um, time of talking and sharing, we're going to take communion together because I think when we re- go through this and then reflect on the communion, that's, that's the key to helping us to have confidence <coughs> that Jesus is with us. He gave himself for us. So we'll, we'll conclude with the communion and at the end uh, here. So um, now let's talk a little bit about uh, Pergamum. Oh, back to the pictures and the map. So where are we exactly? So back to Asia Minor, and that white dot is where Pergamum is, where, which we visited, and a little closer up. So there we are. There's Pergamum. Um, Ephesus, we talked about earlier, is, is down here. All right, so there you've got, you got Pergamum. And let's have someone read for us the words uh, that Jesus wrote, so that John, the same author who wrote the gospel, recorded these words in Revelation. Let's, um, let's have someone do that. Could someone read Revelation 2? To the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the, the, angel of the church in Pergamum writes, there are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yes, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. <coughs> Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitan. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Thank you. Okay. A little bit of investigation here. So what's, what's going well for the church in Pergamum? What's going well? They're holding on. Thank you. Good, yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, they stuck around. They persevered. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else that is there or implied or you think you could reasonably infer from what's going on there? They have the appearance of still following quietly, but mm -hmm. together they, mm -hmm. they are faithful mm. on the outside. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Any more? Okay, what about their challenges? What are their what are their challenges? Mm. What would you say? Doctrine of Balaam. Teaching of Balaam. Yes. Okay. Whilst they were holding to the truth, they yeah. were dabbling in other stuff. Okay. Dabbling. <laughs> Dodgy dabbling was going on. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Definitely. Anything else? Leon? It says the same thing as necessity, so that's quite challenging. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's rough. You know, where do you live? Well, <laughs> Satanville. <laughs> that's. Uh, Man alive, yeah, it's tough. That's a challenge. Okay, anything else? What problems do they have? What could be going better? It seems like if they're following, some are following the teaching of Allah, mm. it may be that there's some immorality in the church. Mm. Yeah, maybe there's some tolerating in the church of unbecoming behavior, you might say. Okay. Enticing people into sin, eating food sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality. So there's some parallels between what happened with the Israelites and what's going on in um, Pergamum. Anything else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe some little, little secret kind of groups, and uh, we we agree with all that, but we think we can also do this. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah, it's okay, and get away with certain kinds of behaviour that aren't really Christ-like. Okay, all right. So, um, I would say fairly normal group of people. I mean, in some ways, right? I mean, we, we have our difficulties with being clear on doctrine sometimes and, and what's important doctrine and what's less important, you know, what's a disputable matter and what really is at the core of the Christian faith. Sometimes we have difficulties in, we hear other teachings from other people or other groups and think, oh, is that right? Is it wrong? We feel attracted to it or, you know. Where are the boundaries of what's morally acceptable for a Christian? You know, what kind of film is it all right to watch? What kind of, you know, there's, there are, you know, these are things Christians have always wrestled with, some of these issues, and um, they sound like they're wrestling with a lot of the same things that we might, might discuss and feel sometimes confusion over. But they're also faithful. They're there, you know, like, here we are. Lawrence Haynes School, here we are, you know, it's, you know there's, there's a faithfulness, and, uh, which is commendable. Um, and they've remained true to the name of Jesus. They, they really believe. Um, there's a lot of good things here and some 
challenges that come with some compromise and some challenges that simply come with their circumstances, where Satan lives. Indeed, more than that, where he has his throne. I mean, that's his headquarters, right here in Pergamum. That's, uh, whatever that means exactly, that's, that's pretty, pretty challenging. So, a couple more pictures. Um, a photograph of a board that was at the site. The Pergamum Acropolis. So the Acropolis is, is the, uh, the top area up here. And this is way up on the hill. So all these, these dwellings are down the sides of the slopes of the hill. And this is the Acropolis at the top. And the white dots there and these two here, down there, those up there, all represent temples. Temples to uh, pagan gods, temples in worship of the Roman emperor, temples in worship of uh, local deities, um, Greek deities, Roman deities. I mean, so you've got, it's, that's a lot of temples in a city of about 200,000. It was a very big city for its time, of its day. Um, and all this down here. And your Christians would have been living somewhere down here, probably, in the cheap, cheap bits, most likely, because most of the early Christians were slaves or, or low-income low people. So they were the, sort of on the edges of the city, probably. So they're all down here, in the, more or less in the valley. And then you, whenever you look at the city, and whenever you look at the Acropolis, which is the heart of the city, a bit like the city of London, in a way, you could say, right, the heart of the place, you're looking up at these temples. You're looking up at the Temple of Zeus, which is here and his huge altar, which you, it was so large, it's been dismantled now, but it was so large you could see it from, for miles. A huge, huge te uh, temple and altar there. So that's what you're looking at. You're looking at pagan gods, pagan buildings, and they were enormous buildings. And they were black stone, but, cut, but with white marble uh, on them to highlight the edges of the buildings. Much of that, not much of that marble is left now, but they've put some bits back in place in certain, certain areas. When he talks here about having a, a white stone, doesn't he, as a promise. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something they think that's part of the reason why he mentions you'll have a white stone. Um, but it, it, and it would gleam. Uh, the sun comes through the valley. We saw this, and I haven't got a good picture, but it came through the valley and comes down a valley and, and hits the buildings at the top of the Acropolis. And that white marble would have gleamed in the sunshine for, well, as far as the eye could see. Beautiful sight, but a pagan sight. A place that would intimidate me, I'm sure. And it looks like Satan has his throne. See, that's the top of the hill. That's, that's, that's visible for miles and miles and miles. Satan has his throne. There's no Christian presence there. There's no Christian power there. There's no... There's, this, is, um, this is a force you can't uh, oppose. This is monumental. You don't have a place here. Must have been how they were feeling. Sometimes we feel that way in this world. You know, I don't have any power. I don't have a place here. I don't belong here. I'm different. What, why would God choose me? Why are we here? A view from the top. Yeah, but the reason I took this picture, standing at the top, you can see the modern town below there, um, is, <laughs> trust me, over here, there's another, a, um, uh, some more ruins, kind of another temple. And that's to, the, um, that's to Asclepius. 
And Asclepius was the most famous of the ancient doctors. And that was his chief medical school. And it was famed for healing in the ancient world at that time. It was the Lourdes of its day. So if you wanted to get healed, you would make a pilgrimage to Asclepion's uh, medical school temple thing altar here, and you would make an, uh, an offering, and you would hope to get healed. And uh, his symbol was the serpent on a stick. or uh, You often see it in medical services today, right? That, that was his symbol, so it survives to this day. Um, and uh, he was known as the savior. So you were coming to the city of the savior when you came to Pergamon. And of course, the Christians were worshiping a different savior. Satan had his throne there. People worshipped what they thought was what they needed, as people still do today. Um, the amphitheater is the steepest that they've discovered in this part of the world. I wouldn't want to be walking up there with my popcorn. I'd be terrified of tripping and falling down there. Um, it's thought that when it refers in chapter 2 here to Antipas being a martyr, being put to death, that that's where he would have been killed. He'd have been killed in the amphitheater, in the theater. And uh, many other Christians from that time would have been killed there. It's quite sobering to stand there and think about a crowd calling for your death and indeed your end coming in this place, this place, the city of Satan, where Satan has his throne. You'd feel intimidated if you knew your friend Antipas had been martyred in this place along with all these other things that were going on. So I recorded a little bit of video uh, at the top. So I'm going to play that for you now. It's just two minutes long, just reflecting back on this passage and, and some thoughts. And then when we've done that, I want to have a little bit of discussion. So be thinking about this. I want to have a bit of discussion about where we see Satan's throne today in our world. I don't mean in the world so much, but in our world? What are the places which are intimidating, that seem immovable, that seem impossible to change, that seem like they're opposed to us? Where, what are the kind of areas of Satan's throne in our world? So we're here at Pergamum, right up on the hill, seeing the temples, several temples to the Roman gods, Greek gods, the old library. And this is the, what Jesus said to the church in Pergamum. These, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. And they think that's there because the god of healing, Asclepion, had his base here, most famous base, and was known as the Saviour. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness was put to death in your city where Satan lives, and that's, again, probably referring to Asclepion. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. 
I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The white stone, this was a, an area known for white stone, decorative special white stone, which became very important and precious. And the the uh, temple of, and the medical school for Asclepion was just down there in that valley. And just over the way, there's a theater just put on that ridge. A very steep, the steepest amphitheater, or the theater that's been found, where it's believed Christians were persecuted around the time that this letter was written and in the years following. Very special to be here and think about that warning to the church and think about how it might apply to me and others around today. What are the things that intimidate us in our Christian lives that we find difficult, as difficult as they must have found it, to live in the city where Satan had his throne, to see all those temples, to have their friend Antipas killed for his faith, to, to know that people came to that town for healing, to the, to the saviour, and, and then to have another message of a different saviour, someone to worship that wasn't honoured in that place. So what, are the, what, what might be signs of Satan's throne in our own lives or areas that we find so difficult to believe that God is there with us and can be powerful? Any quick thoughts? Our own situations. Brussels. Brussels. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> well, that's right. The throne is being moved. Maybe. Yeah. I think workplaces. Workplaces can be difficult. Yeah, can be, can be um, challenging in some corporate environments where it's... I mean, I used to work in an area where um, an individual shared a faith with a client and they were sacked for it. Okay. You know, so mm. even when you want to, you know, share your faith, <clears throat> it's a bit intimidating sometimes mm. in mm. workplaces. So living out your Christian faith in a work environment can be very intimidating. Especially reaching out. And mm. Letting it be known that you are a Christian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Simon. Screen time. Yes. Can be overwhelming. Yes, it can be addictive. Yes. Well, that's right. <laughs> Adults and the younger people, yes. That's right. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes, you can say something relatively innocent, or but uh, be attacked. Yes. Yes, uh, Stefan. I think 
parenting is a challenge, isn't it, right? I mean, our children are, when they're at school, they are in a non-faith-based environment for very long hours every day, um, being, being fed information that we may not agree with. Um, I mean, that's inevitable because this is the world we live in, but it, it, it can create that sense of powerlessness as a parent. Like, there's so much influence on my children. Can I have enough? Can God have enough influence to counter that when there's so much coming at them at school from so many sources, whether it's from teachers or other pupils? Or that, that can be a real. I mean, that, that I know is. I mean, my children are a little older now, as you know, but I remember that feeling of how how on earth am I going to counter this? So that that found I found very challenging. Satan has his. I would hesitate to say that Satan has his throne in schools, but uh, uh, maybe I won't say, say that. But, but it, it depends which school it is, perhaps. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, okay, good. Thank you for that. Um, other thoughts? The workplace, schooling, education, social media. Um, Mm-hmm. Where people speak out against Christianity, mm. things that uh, Christians believe. Mm. When you're a minority. Being the minority is, oh, that, that must have been how they felt in, in Pergamum, right? Yeah. In the minority. And a weak minority, you know, I think, too. Mm. Anything else comes to mind? So these are the situations in life that we can't avoid. Can't really avoid work. You know, not if you want to pay some bills, right? You can't avoid children getting some kind of education and being influenced by some people. Can't you know? They're, they're, these are the and they couldn't avoid living in that city. I mean, in the sense that live somewhere. Right? They couldn't avoid it. These are the things that seem bigger than us and immovable, as it must have seemed to them, with those temples and the culture of the city. These are the uh, things which affect the atmosphere around us. Um, they affect how we feel. Um, they're the things that cause us to sometimes feel more fear than faith. If not that faith is really a feeling, but you know what I mean? The feeling of fear pushes the faith out. Let's put it that way. Uh, these are the things that make us, um, make us anxious, keep us awake at night, that uh, we find hard to pray about, or perhaps even just find it hard to pray because we feel overwhelmed. These are the things that cause us to compromise, um, like they did in Pergamum, at least to some degree, with these Nicolaitans, <coughs> whatever they were teaching, and we don't know. They certainly knew, and they were in trouble because of it. But So as we, as we think about um, our challenges, I would encourage us with these last few thoughts here from the end of this section, where Jesus says, 
to, we should pay attention, let him hear what the Spirit says. And he says, to the one who is victorious, to those, so to those who hold on to him, I will give, he has three things he says he'll do. I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll give that person a, uh, a white stone. And on that white stone will be a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it, which I don't think is quite as mysterious as it sounds. I think it's just saying it's a personal thing. I'm with you personally. It's not some weird mystical thing, I think. I don't think so. So um, promises. We have the promise of manna, which is the bread of life, right? Jesus says that he is the bread of life. We have the food we need. We have the, the word of God both in our hands and the living word of God in Christ that lives in our hearts through his spirit. So we, have, we can feed on Christ. When we feel weak, we can feed on him. One of the things that happens when we get intimidated by the world is that we can forget that the Bible gives us strength. That's where we get strength from, the word of God. We can feed on Christ. Secondly, we can have a new identity. What Jesus is saying is, um, with this white stone, you stand out to me. You may not stand out in your world. You may not look important where you live. The Christians in Pergamum didn't stand out or look important. But Jesus says, you stand out to me. I notice you. No one else might notice you. No one else might care. But I notice. I know who you are. I know where you are. I'm with you all the time. I really care. You stand out. Um, These black buildings had this white stone on it, this white marble. It stood out. He's saying, you stand out to me like that. I know you. And I'm with you. I think it's really encouraging. And there's a transformation promised here. The new name idea is, is uh, about a transformation. You're not the old you. You're a new you. I changed you when my spirit came into you. And you've got this new, new identity. And you are in the process of being transformed through your troubles. You are not transformed out of your troubles. You're transformed through your troubles. We, we grow in Christ when we're faced with difficulties like when we have that, a course where we're intimidated or, 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 or our faith is, is uh, challenged or, or at work when we feel we can't be ourselves in our faith or when we are facing the challenges of, of, of a school situation where our children are being taught things we don't agree with. These, these things, when we pray, sometimes God changes situations, but sometimes it's us who need to change. And grow. And so we have the promise of a new name. We have the promise of the power of God to transform us and give us the strength that we need. And all of that's possible because Christ came to live in us. He came to live in us. And that, that's only possible because he died. If he did not die, he could not rise and be, and be ascended and he could not send the Spirit. And so we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit just like they had in Pergamum, which enabled them to stay true to the name of Jesus, even in the days when Antipas was put to death. And they, I believe they trusted these promises. And we can today. Jesus is victorious, thus we can be victorious. He will give us this manna. He will give us a white stone. He will give us a new name. And he will be with us. So as we take the bread and wine now, we are taking symbols of his body and his blood, broken and poured out for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have a new life and have courage 
in the midst of our troubles. Let's pray together.